Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to City Church. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us today, and today is also Boulder's first ever Boulderthon, and all of you, I can tell, prefer Mario Kart over racing with your feet. So, well done. Me too. Glad you're here. There's a bunch of people from our church out there racing with their actual feet, and I admire them. But the only thing that's going to get me to do that is maybe a bear chasing me. Um, it also depends on who's with me, because you don't have to be the fastest person. You just got to be the faster than the other guy, right? So welcome to City Church. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but I am glad that you are here. A couple of quick announcements for you uh, as we get into today's service. If you're a first-time guest with us today, genuinely so glad that you're here. Hope this place feels like home and family for you. You should have received that gift on the way in. That's just a way for us to, to love on you and, and help you take some next steps if you're interested through that connection card. Uh, but listen, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey today, you are loved, safe, and welcome no matter where you find yourself. And our desire is to meet you where you are and simply help you take some next steps, whatever that might mean for you. So genuinely glad that you're here. On the way out, you're going to receive a couple of flyers. Number one is this Halloween community night. Who's pumped for Halloween? I'm so excited. So we do a lot of different kind of community events throughout the year. And uh, for Halloween, we're going to throw this big community night. There's going to be costume contests and, and uh, cider for the adults and some stuff for the kids and candy and prizes and all kinds of different categories to submit for the costume contest. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be here at our church. You're going to get flyers on the way out. Obviously, you're invited and we hope you bring your A-game. But also, this is an incredible opportunity just to connect with those that are either disconnected from faith or from church. You might have friends and neighbors, coworkers, family members who wouldn't come to a Sunday gathering or to a city group, but they would come and have some hard Halloween cider with you and dress up and have a good time. And that's what's happening on Friday, October 28th. And so this is a very similar environment to our community nights that we'll throw at to like Boco Cider down the street. Same thing, except the, the location's here for the purpose of all of the things happening that evening. You don't have to dress up to come, but you can. And I will be, because it's awesome. It's going to be so much fun. So I don't want you to miss that this is not only for you, but this is just a great opportunity for you to continue to live on mission where you live, work, and play. Invite some people to build community and have a great evening. You're also going to receive another flyer on the way out with a QR code on it. We're in a season of just kind of measuring how things are going in our community. And so you taking some time to scan that QR code and take that quick survey would really help us just to know how the souls of everyone at City Church are doing and how well we're doing at winning at the right things and the most important things. So if you haven't already taken that survey, you'll get the card on the way out, and we would love for you to do that. That's all that I got. You guys good? Ready to go? Okay, so we're in this series on the Holy Spirit. This is week three. If you missed week one and two, you can go back, catch it on our, our YouTube channel or our podcast. Um, and, and to start off, I don't know where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, so I'm going to do like a little bit of groundwork for us today. Orthodox kind of historic Christianity has believed in God as what theologians call the Trinity. You guys heard that before, Trinity? Not like Trinity in the Matrix, Trinity, but different Trinity, okay? 
So, so theologians have called God the Trinity, which means God is, is one God in three persons. So you might have heard expressions like God as Father, God as Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Father is kind of easy for our, our brains to get around, even though we might not feel that, like just cognitively, like, okay, God is a Father, okay, God the Son, that's Jesus, but God the Holy Spirit, we're asking, like, what does that even mean? What does that look like? Who is he? And then we've been walking through a couple of weeks just answering the question, who is the Spirit? And here's the definition we kicked off with. And I just want to kind of bring us back into this space. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. And listen, if you're not a Jesus follower in the room and you're trying to wrestle with this Christianity thing and what it means to follow Jesus, we've been really breaking it down to say, hey, what we believe informs a lot of what we do. And, and most of what we're exposed to culturally and through example of others, a lot of times that's skewed or misaligned. And so this is answering some of those really important questions about what does it mean to have a relationship with God? And, and part of it is the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. So week, week one, we talked about God, God's person. The Holy Spirit is God's person, meaning the Holy Spirit is not a force we wield like in Star Wars, but a person that we have a relationship with. You guys with me? Make kind of sense? Okay, number two, week two, we talked about God's power. And, and we talked about how Jesus was not only you know, Savior of the world, Messiah, all of that stuff, but he was also our example. He showed us what it means to live fully human in the power of the Spirit. And also, if you weren't here last week, I got a text in the middle of this week from one of our team members, Paul. And he said, hey, Drake, I don't need to summon the power of your glutes today but can I summon the power of your forearms to help me lift something? And so he took advantage of the analogy last week. If you have no idea what that's about, you just got to go watch it because it was hilarious and very funny that Paul would text me. But I was a little disappointed that he didn't want my glutes for any help. I don't know if that meant they're not reliable or he just didn't need it. But last week we talked about God's power, and this week we're going to talk about God's presence. Now, the scriptures begin and end with God being present with his people. So let me just show you real fast Genesis 3 and then Revelation will go there. Genesis 3. This is right after creation and we get this picture. Check it out. Uh, the, Adam and Eve are in the garden and they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now before we go on, there's this routine that, that God and Adam and Eve have this kind of perfect no barrier relationship that in Genesis 3 is then sabotaged by this volitional sin to trust in ourselves over God. And so this is the moment when God shows up again for this kind of intimate space of relationship. And look what happens. And the man and his wife, this is Adam and Eve, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. So God's presence is with them. And in this moment, because of the volition of sin, this desire to control, this desire to be kind of authority and God over my own life, they are now hiding from God's presence instead of enjoying it. You guys see that? Okay, so this is the moment when everything breaks down. Um, but, the, but God called to the man and he said, where are you? And, and I just want you to think about this today. This is not a God was confused because he's really bad at hide and seek trying to find Adam and Eve. He knows where they are. This is a posture of asking, where are you in relation to me? Where are you? And, and, and I don't know where you're walking in today and how your heart and mind showed up this morning, but if you could just ask that of yourself, like, like where, where am I today with myself, with other people in a relationship to God? And then we, we see things break down here, but look at Revelation. This is uh, Revelation 21. We, we see this picture of kind of everything culminating of God's restoration of this brokenness. So 
everything in between, right? Genesis to Revelation, it's this amazing story of God restoring that which was lost in the beginning, this, this presence of God with us, God with us, right? Christmas is around the corner. Isn't that sad? It's around the corner. Oh, no. And, and as Christmas is around the corner, right, you hear often like, oh, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Like, that might kind of roll off the tongue, but this is a really, really, really big deal. So that has been lost, and it's broken. It's, it's, it's not the norm, if you will. And in Revelation, we see all those pieces coming back together. Check this out. John is having this vision. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The reason I give this to you on the front end is this is the picture of what God is after. This is what you and I were made for. This is why Jesus showed up on the scene to restore that which was lost. And God's desire is not for your just strict obedience and your rule following and your church going and you're doing the right things and all the check boxes in the list. God's desire is to be with his people. And so today we're going to look at this space, but what we're talking about, this presence of God dwelling with us, God with us, this is often called God's nearness or God's manifest presence. And you don't have to understand those words to understand that this is where like you feel God's presence. And some of you in the room, you've been following Jesus for a minute and you felt God's presence maybe during a song or while we're gathering or maybe while you're reading the scriptures alone in prayer or when you've been serving other people where you kind of feel God's presence. This is what like you feel God's presence. You're aware of it. You like, you know it. And the problem that you and I face is that this is the exception, not the rule because of what happened in Genesis 3, this brokenness. And so I know, I know a lot of people that like want to experience more of God and we might call it like, man, I wanna experience God's presence in my life, but then it's kinda like, sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not, and what does that mean? And if I don't feel it, is God actually there? And should I rely on my feelings? And, and we talked about this on the front end of, the, of the, the series that I'm a skeptic like on a good day, and so I don't really trust my feelings all that much. Uh, I think I've had like one or two feelings my entire life anyway. And so I just don't know if they're reliable. And so we have this, this tension of, of kind of cognitive reality up against experience. And again, the way we read scripture from Genesis to Revelation is this amazing story of God working to restore his presence with his people. And what's amazing about God's presence is that he's present. <laughs> like, like, it's a really big deal to think that God would want to be with you and I. But before we go into the theology of today, I just want to ask you a question. How present are you today? How present are you to God today? If you're a follower of Jesus, like how present do you feel in your relationship to God? How, and, and maybe you're not there. Maybe like life is so hard right now or you're wrestling with a lot of things and you're like, man, I don't, I don't even have time to think about that because I don't even feel present with other people in my life. How's your home? How present are you to your kids or to your coworkers or to your roommates or to your boss? Maybe you don't want to be present to that person, but you know, how present are you to just other people? How, how present are you to yourself? That's even harder than being present to other people. At least I can kind of fake it till I make it with others, but present to myself? I don't want to even look under the hood. And I, and I speak from experience because I really struggle to be present in the moment. 
You and I, we live busy, we live distracted, hurried, anxiety-ridden lives, and we are living at a pace unparalleled to human history. And what's sad is we think that's normal. Everything that you and I experience, everything that we feel, kind of the, the, the craziness of life as we know it, it's not ideal, but it doesn't feel like crazy to us. It feels kind of normal. Everybody's going through it. Hey, how was your day? Oh, it's good. How was your week? Oh, it's, it's good. I'm just busy. How'd you sleep? I didn't sleep very, you know, over and over again. We're just constantly depleted. And you and I live in this abnormal space. I don't know if you knew this. This kind of blew my mind as I was working on it this week. 150 years ago, the light bulb was invented. Isn't that nuts? Like only 150 years ago, an invention changed life as we know it. This is going to hurt your feelings. But on average, before the light bulb, the average person slept more than 10 hours a day. Let's just go bust some light bulbs today, guys. Like, like down with the light bulb. Start a movement. The average person pre-light bulb slept 10 hours a day. And it's interesting because like we try to guard that for our children probably. If you have kids, right, you try to like, oh, you got to get your sleep and stuff. And it's like eventually you just grow out of that. But like the one thing you crave as an adult is to sleep like your children do. <laughs> like I just wish I could sleep 10 or 12 hours. Be amazing. So little things have shifted the way we do life. So light bulbs change just kind of the, the efficiency mindset of especially the, the Western American engine that we know and live in. But in addition, 15 years ago, something crazy happened that has changed life as we know it as well. Anybody got, a, got an idea what happened 15 years ago? Smartphone, Steve Jobs, that guy. <laughs> we love him and we don't love him. 15 years ago, the iPhone changed the world as we know it. And so we have a lot of external factors that contribute to our busyness, our presence with ourselves, one another, and even with God. In 2016, there was a study done on the iPhone, and it said iPhone users touch their phones 2,617 times a day, totaling roughly two and a half hours of use a day which is a lot. That is a lot. Um, and then that study was redone in 2019, and just within a few short years, those stats had doubled to where the average American is using their phone, their device. We're not talking about computers and TV. We're just talking about that device in your pocket, an average of five hours a day. And here's, here's what I know about you. You don't want to be distracted. You don't want to be busy. You don't want to be hurried. You don't want to be impatient. You, you don't want to be that person. You want to be present to self. You want to breathe deep and enjoy life. And it's why you try to take a vacation only to get back into the hustle. Right? We have this constant, I know that you don't want to be that person, but what's going to happen is you and I are going to look up, let's just say you're you know, 30 years old and, and you're fast forwarding to the end of your life and you're lucky and you get 70, 80 years. If you play this just simple projection forward five hours a day of just screen time interrupting your ability to be present to yourself, to God, and to others, you're going to spend, and this is terrifying, you and I will spend 10 years of our entire lives looking at a screen. If we spend 40, 50 years with a smartphone in our pockets. Now, you might be better than the average person. Way to go, you. 
But these are just stats, and this is just meant to scare you, <laughs> like it does me. That's it. It's almost Halloween. I'm just trying to be in the moment, okay? So Dallas Willard has famously said that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. And we did an entire series on this last year. There's an incredible book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. You can pick up on your own time. Most people that I recommend that book to, they say they're too busy to read that book, and it's absolutely hilarious. Um, because they know it, and then they still can't find time. But I want you to think about Dallas Willard's words. He said, worry, I'm sorry, hurry is the great enemy, the great enemy of spiritual life. You, like, feel that? Like, really? Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life? And, and you got to think about why. The reason being is that hurry and love are incompatible. So then as Jesus followers, Jesus says, hey, you know what, you want to know what it means to follow me, to live life as a church and in community and on your own and this whole Jesus follower thing? He says, if you just boil it down, all you need to do is love God and people. Awesome. I love the simplicity, except love and hurry are incompatible. And you know this, because you've been in a moment where you're too busy and hurried to take a second and, and then what comes out of your mouth is unloving instead of loving because you're too busy to slow down. It's really, it's, it's frustrating, isn't it? So you, you and I live in this tension. And then we run across verses like this. Check it out. Psalm 46. Be still. Dang it. <laughs> ah, be still and know that I am God. Okay, cool. Done. I was still. One sec, I read the verse. It counts, right? And, and honestly, we read stuff like this, and it, and it feels maybe more like theory. Like, oh, this is a disposition of your, your, your soul or your mind, maybe. But you don't have to actually be still. Well, maybe there's something to it. Being still, the invitation to know that I am God. What, why would we do this? What, what's the invitation here? When it comes to experiencing God's presence or being present with other people, at the end of the day, our ability to be still, to be present, is a really, really big deal of how we experience someone else. It's the same of the Holy Spirit as it is with your wife or your roommate. And so it's really interesting that the psalmist would say, be still, and the byproduct would be to know that I am God. As in, in that moment, you stop, you surrender, just a little bit of space and a little bit of control. I'm not God. I don't have to be in control. I don't have to run like a maniac and work like it all depends on me. Someone else is God. But the psalmist doesn't stop there. It's really interesting because he goes on and he says, kind of this, this picture of, of God saying, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all of the earth. To lift up, to, to make mo much of. That's what that word means. And, so it's really interesting that for the psalmist, us being still, knowing that he's God, being present to God, the overflow is then making much of God in the world around us. Tyler Statton says it this way. Let me show you. He says that stillness with God, it transforms us into unhurried love. Stillness with God transforms us into unhurried love love. And this is a picture of Jesus through and through. Constantly being alone with the Father and constantly interruptible. 
This incredible picture of grace and truth. And that wasn't just Jesus while he's walking the planet. That's Jesus for you and me today. And so the goal today is simply to cultivate in our hearts and our minds a gratitude, a perspective for God's presence in our lives, and then just an invitation to be present to God, to ourselves, and to others. You guys with me? I know you want to be this kind of person. And even if, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a disposition that you can get behind. I just want to look at what it means to access that today. So I want you to think about your favorite movie. Your favorite movie in your mind and like the one you always want to talk about or you can just quote from memory. And you know that clip in your favorite movie? It happened this morning. We're like getting ready for the, the, the service and we're making coffee and I made a quote to one of our team members and she just stared at me. She didn't laugh. She didn't chuckle. She, and then I got the pity smile. She had no idea. I was like, well, this isn't, go watch the movie and then you'll understand. The, I was trying to make it funny. It didn't work out. It's a little embarrassing. It's all good. So when you're watching your favorite movie, a clip might give you a picture of, of what you're trying to get across, but really to understand the entirety of, of the theme, you gotta watch the whole movie, yeah? You guys agree? Okay, I'll, I'll, it's the same thing with the scriptures. There's an arc, there's a story narrative in the scriptures. And, and when we talk about God's presence and his power in our lives, it's helpful that we take little snapshots, but an over-coursing arc of understanding the, the whole movie, if you will, it helps us to kind of get there. So you, can, we, can we just go on like a little tour real fast? You guys ready for that? All right, cool. One of us. The rest of you just kind of hang on. <laughs> Here's the narrative, okay? I'm, it's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to give it to you real fast so that you can understand, okay? So God's presence, we saw it in Genesis, saw it in Revelation, where, it's, where it started, how it got messed up, and then how, where, where it's coming back, right? So what about the middle part? All right, the middle part, just real fast. You guys heard of this guy named Moses? Yeah, cool. You could, you know, all right, so Moses, Ten Commandments, all that stuff. You shall not pass. That was a joke. That was another movie that you should go watch. That's Gandalf, guys, not Moses. Okay, so not Gandalf, Moses, Mount Sinai. We see God's presence show up in a cloud on top of a mountain, Mount Sinai. Okay, so this is Exodus. God rescues his people. God shows up in this crazy storm, and God's presence is terrifying. You go read it for yourself. Go check it out in Exodus. We see God's presence, and it's terrifying. After that, they start to move, and God is rescuing them, and then we see God ask them to make a tent or a tabernacle, kind of this mobile place where God's presence is going to show up. He called it a dwelling place so he could be with them. So even in the beginning, as God is restoring people back to himself, it's about God being with us. It's just, you see that language over and over again. And so we see this, this cloud that would come off and on the tent as they would move toward the promised land. And then eventually they get to the promised land and Jerusalem is established and they have this amazing city and they build the temple. You guys heard of the temple? Cool, all right, there's, there's a temple in the middle of the city. It's kind of central. And fast forwarding a couple hundred years, Israel's a nation and they built this temple and it's amazing. And then guess what shows up again? The cloud, it's just this picture of God's presence and it falls on the temple and it's amazing and people are freaking out but it's interesting because they can like see God's presence but they can't experience it there's only one dude allowed to experience this whole the whole time from like Sinai all the way to Jerusalem in the temple they can see it but they can't experience it one dude once a year can go in there and if he messes it up he dies <laughs> 
So they tie a rope around his ankle just in case so they can pull him back out, okay? So God's, he's there, but he's not accessible. Does that make sense? So God's presence, we see it over and over again, God's being with his people, but then you fast forward a couple hundred years later and then Israel gets just the, their teeth knocked out because they weren't following God and God lets nations come in and they get sacked and everything's destroyed. And then Ezekiel tells us that God's presence leaves the temple. So it's really interesting that God's presence leaves the temple so we see God's presence coming and coming and coming and coming, and then now God's presence leaves, and, and it's, it's kind of sad because uh, there's this picture that Ezekiel gives us of what's to come. You guys heard of the, of the dry bones story? Anybody heard of that? It's in a couple songs. We sing about like God can turn dry bones, stuff like that. You ever wonder what we're talking about? It comes from this story in Ezekiel where, where he has this vision of a valley of just dry, dead bones, and it's a picture of, of, of Israel being dead spiritually and separated from God. And here's what God says in response to this vision. So again, they're, they're, they're dispersed, they're in slavery and captivity, and then Ezekiel has this vision, and God says, you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves. This is speaking to those dry bones. This is all spiritual language. I'm gonna raise you from your graves and my, my people, and I will put my spirit within you. That language sound familiar? Over the last two weeks, okay, I'm going to put my spirit within you and you shall live. So this is amazing, okay? God's presence has been coming. Now God's presence has left. And then there's this promise that he's going to continue to restore. But then there is this massive gap from this point on, 400 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. And God's presence is nowhere to be found. It's, it's called the 400 silent years because there's nothing and eventually, they, they even rebuild the temple. There's this dude named Herod that rebuilds the temple, and they're excited about the, the idea that they're back in their city and they have the temple, but there's never one mention historically that God's presence ever shows back up. So they have a physical place, but, but God's presence is not there. And God is promising, not only is he going to bring Israel back, but God is going to come back with them. So fast forward all the way to John 1. All right, that was your little history lesson. You guys good? Whew. I know, I used to fall asleep during those, so I'm glad you made it. John 1, here's Jesus. And the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus shows up, and again, this language of dwelling, right? Over and over again, you read it for yourself, all the way through the Old Testament. I'm gonna dwell with my people, dwell with my people. And now... This is another way of saying Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, that literally with us. And for us, as we read this, what this is, is Jesus being basically a temple on legs. Over and over again, the temple has represented God's presence, right? It wasn't ever, like, I don't know your theology and what you've been exposed to, but like, this is just a building, right? This is not a, a it's just orange carpet and pews. <laughs> it's a beautiful building and I'm grateful for it, but like, it doesn't represent God's presence, and that was the idea. All oh, the temple is like God's presence, God's presence. And the temple is a big deal. And Jesus shows up and he's like a temple on legs. And he's doing crazy, crazy stuff. If you wanted forgiveness as a Jew in this period of time, you had to go to the temple, make a sacrifice, and ask the priests so that they could do it on your behalf. And then Jesus would look at somebody and he would say, no, you're good. You're forgiven. People would be like, ah, you can't do that. And Jesus shows up over and over again saying, I'm, I'm a temple replacement. I came to do what the temple could not. It served a purpose, and now I'm the fulfillment of everything you're looking forward to. And Jesus does these crazy things, looks at the temple, the building. He says, 
You can destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And they're freaking out about it because it's taken them like hundreds of years to build this temple. And he's talking about himself. And Jesus makes claims. He's the temple replacement. That he came to bring the, the presence of God. Jesus is the presence of God with you and I. All right, you guys with me? All right, now watch what happens. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost comes around, this is after Jesus' burial and, and his resurrection, they're all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. So go back to Sinai, what happened? There's a cloud and storms and fire and wind. It's like really intentional language, okay? Check it out. A violent wind comes from heaven, and the whole house uh, where they were sitting uh, was shaken. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Fire in the Old Testament over and over again represented God's presence. This is not a mistake. I just want you to see how intentional this language is. You look over and over again at all of this coming together, and it rested on each of them. How many of them? Each of them, all of them. So it's not one special dude. It's not a special moment in time. All of them receive God's presence. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Enabled them. Okay, so this is the moment that Jesus had promised where he came to usher in God's presence for all people. It's not far off. It's not inaccessible. Now, if, if you've trusted in Jesus, it's in you. Now, watch what happens. 1 Corinthians 3, check it out. Paul is writing to this brand new church, helping them understand just where they are in relationship to God. And he says, don't you know? As in like, don't you remember? Don't you, don't you get it? We talked about this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the temple. I thought the temple was the temple. Where, where are we in this storyline? It's, it's an ark. What's, what's happening? After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he sent the Spirit and you and I. This word, it's, it's plural. You all. He's talking to the church collectively in Corinth. So here's what he, you can say, to say it this way. Don't you know, city church, that you yourselves collectively are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? This is pretty amazing. That God's spirit is in us and he is with us. Plural language, right? This is a beautiful building, but it's not a sanctuary and it's not a temple. This is the macro expression of temple. God's people gathered together. And so one of the reasons we value gathering together when we come together is because it's more than music and a dude speaking. Those are great. Most of the time. <laughs> Except for days when we do history lessons, you're like, I don't, I, I'm here, Drake, trying. We're here because God is here. And, you know, we wonder sometimes, like, oh, man, can we not just, like, maybe we could, like, do away with the weekend gathering thing and just focus on, like, living on mission and city groups and, like, all that stuff. But, like, no, man, there's something that happens when we gather together. When God's people come together in prayer and in worship and around the scriptures and around the table, God is with us. And so as Daniel comes, we're going to start to land the plane, but I want you to understand just the, kind of the magnanimity. Wow, that's a hard word. Magnanimity? Yeah. It's so big I can't even say it, guys. The bigness of God. Check it out. Last one, 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, this is Paul continuing to write to that same church, and he commands them, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own 
body. This is context, by the way. Paul is writing to them because there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening in the city of Corinth, and there's all kinds of temples like, and, and other gods that, that they worship through these physical acts, and so he's trying to reorient them around what it means to follow Jesus, and for him, he's very simply saying, hey, you shouldn't have sex with anyone outside uh, of your husband or wife. Very simple junk drawer word for him, but, but if you think that sounds crazy, which sometimes people do in our culture and context, here's his logic. Say, why wouldn't we do that, Paul? He says, do you not know? There it is again. Do you not know, singular, so not plural now, this is singular. Do you not know that your body, singular, are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Why should we just do whatever we want with our lives and our bodies? It's because you're not your own. You were bought at a price. He's speaking of Jesus and what he did on the cross in our place for our sins. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so it's pretty amazing that Paul's language and logic, right? God's presence starts on a mountain, then it moves into a tent, and then it goes into the center of a city, and then God's presence leaves, and it comes back, and then it comes through Jesus, and then after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he sends it into his people, and now there's this macro temple, the church, and there's these middle, little, little like mini temples, which is you and me, so God is present here with us today and he's present with you as you go to your job, as you lay your head on your pillow, as you get up in the morning, as you go to the gym, as you grab your favorite coffee. God is present if you're a Jesus follower. There has been this just controversy in the West around the Holy Spirit in the church. We talked a little bit about that over the last couple of weeks. The whole idea, the reason I gave you all of this today is you and I cannot skip over the reality that God is with us. Let me show you Jesus' promise in Matthew 28. Therefore, Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, talking to his followers, his disciples, go and make disciples, other followers of Jesus, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here's Jesus' promise, promise for you and I as we live out that calling. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So when Jesus says he's with us, what does he mean? He's talking about the Holy Spirit, God's person, presence, and power that he sent to live in us. Here's why we dealt with all of this today. I know it was a lot cognitively to wrestle with, but I don't want you to miss this one big idea. God has gone to great lengths to be with us. That's all I want you to see. God has done the miraculous to be with you. And the heart and the soul of relationship with God. We talk about it all the time. What does it mean to follow Jesus? To be with Jesus and become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. But it starts with intimacy. It starts with a relationship. What we call practicing the presence of God. What Paul calls walking in the Spirit. What Jesus called abiding in Him. This is not new language to most of you if you call City Church home. But it is a practice and it's a habit that a lot of people struggle with. Why? Because we're busy and we're hectic and we can't slow down and we're not present to ourselves or others, much less to God. 
Dallas Willard said that the first and most basic thing that you and I can do as followers of Jesus is to keep God before our minds. So, so, so God has gone to great lengths to be with us. The question that you and I have to wrestle with is, are we with him? Not, not, not have I trusted in Jesus, prayed a prayer, like has he made me new, that caught, like that piece. No, not, not just am I saved as a Jesus follower, but am I walking with him? Am I abiding with him? See, the presence of God is available. And it comes with all these incredible promises peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And those don't seem to exist in tandem with hurry and busyness and anger and frustration and impatience. So you and I are just invited into this continual journey. And we, we, we ring this bell all the time because like this is the foundation of everything else. We've said it a thousand times. Before we want anything from you at City Church, it's what we want for you. Everything Jesus wants to do in and through your life, he will do out of the overflow of your relationship with him. Everything you want to become, it will start in the presence of God. But this is not abstract. This is not working yourself up into feeling. It's called the practice of the presence of God, meaning a habit. It's something that we cultivate, that what we do determines who we become. Not legalism, not check a bunch of boxes so God likes you, but just like any other relationship in our lives, if we want it to grow, it takes time. And, and I have conversations constantly with people who want this life but don't have it. They want to prioritize the space, but they just run out of time. They're too busy. I know you want to be these kind of people because I did too. And I had a couple moments this week where I really felt like I was aware of God's presence. I was present to Danielle and to my boys and I kind of responded in ways that are like the right ways. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You're like, and, and, and like things come out of your mouth and you're like, hey, that was the right thing to say. And there's a couple moments when, when I've been practicing this week, like the presence of God, and, 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 and then God is using that space. And there's a couple of moments this week where I just failed miserably. Because practices, they're shaping us. We're giving God the space to do a work in and through us. And so the invitation today is that you and I just learn to live in a deeper awareness of God's presence with us. And that's when we experience his power in and through us. Not at the back of our minds, but God's at the front of our minds. That we learn to live in this kind of tension that Jesus gave us of heaven coming to earth. Like, like one foot's in heaven and one foot's planted firmly in your cubicle. <laughs> and just present to God and to yourself and to others. Not perfectly, but in practice. So here's the invitation today. Number one, I, I just want to encourage you to practice the presence of God this week. No, no, no messing around, no like soft, just give it a shot when you feel like it. No, just try it. Pick a consistent daily time and space this week. Just, just, just give it a shot. Even if you're not sure, give it a shot this week. Tyler Statton said that there's no such thing as a habit or a priority that doesn't happen consistently. And so good intentions will never get us to where we want to be. A consistent daily time and space. For me, it's every morning after I drop my kids off at school. 
It doesn't, it doesn't matter when it is or where it is. It matters that it's consistent. You shoot in the dark and hope that it happens. It's not going to. And this is a practice, something you cultivate. And so maybe for you, it's, it's setting aside 15 minutes in the morning before you go to work. Or maybe it's the 15 minutes before your head hits the pillow. Or maybe it's your lunch break. Or, or, or maybe it's, it's uh, you know, at midnight after your kids are finally in bed. Whatever it is, pick a consistent time and space. And here's what, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Be intentional. Meaning, posture. Okay, I just want you to practice for a minute. Can you practice with me? Sit up straight. Flip your hands just kind of up. Let's go back to Psalm 46. Be still. And know that I'm God. And you just, you're, just position your body to kind of be a little more aware. So maybe it's a chair. Maybe it's a, it's a park bench. But here's, here's what I want you to do. As you're being intentional... I want you to pray something simple and invitational. So just take, like, just pick a moment in that space and pray something small like, God, I'm here. Flip your hands up. Pray something small. God, I'm here. God, you're here. God, I need you. Any, anything. Just kind of in a posture of being with God. And then shut up for two minutes. Just try it. Two minutes. Just be Still, I have to, listen, this is hard. I set a timer on my phone so my eyeballs aren't like, you know, trying to (laughs) see how long two minutes is. Just set a timer and be still. God, I'm here. God, you're here. Breathe in deep and be quiet. Don't talk. Don't do anything. Just be and remember that God is present. And don't think like, oh, is this working? What does it do? Don't, don't, Don't do that. Just be present. And then, set aside 15 minutes. So, so you just need like 17 minutes for this practice. Or if you don't have 17 minutes, then take two and put it in there and make it 15 and 13 for Scripture. But sit down, be quiet for two minutes. I'm here, you're here. And then open the Scriptures. Read just a passage. Start in John. Read a paragraph. Read a verse. Open up your YouVersion Bible app and read the verse of the day. Whatever. Open the scriptures. And online we have a tool. It's called SOAP. And it's, it's just posturing your heart to listen. SOAP stands for scripture, observation, application, and prayer. I'm just going to write down what I hear God speaking to me about. And close in prayer. It's really simple. You say, why 15 minutes? Listen, if you're like me, it takes 15 minutes to do anything well. It takes me five minutes to to stop thinking about what I'm thinking about. It takes me five minutes to focus on what's in front of me. It takes me five minutes to respond to what I just did. Because if you're like me, you can read something, put it down, and walk away and forget whatever you read. Fifteen minutes is a minimum (laughs) of any kind of focus. This is your lunch break. This is in the morning. This is in the evening. Whenever it is. And just practice the presence of God this week. Every day. Just try it for one week, every day. Pick a time, pick a space, 15 minutes, and just try it and see if you're not more present to God, to yourself, and to others. See if God's presence in you doesn't start to become an awareness that changes what you see and what you say and what you do and how you live.
Just try it. And you're like, man, this is hard and this is big. I know it is. And that's why we have city groups. Because God isn't just with you. He's with us. So text someone in your group and say, here's what I'm doing it. Here's where I'm doing it. Will you pray for me and hold me accountable? And just try it. God has gone to great lengths to be with you. And he wants to work in and through you. Let's create some space to be with him and see what he wants to do and what he wants to say. We pray for us. God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you sent Jesus to, to be the personification of your presence, to be your presence on two legs, a, 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 a walking temple. But not only that, you sent Jesus to make a way. That we don't, we don't need a priest and a building to be with you, but you actually came all the way to us. Jesus, you died, you were buried, and you rose again to die for our sin so that when we trust in you, we can be forgiven and made right with you so that we can be with you and you can be with us to be fully known and fully loved. God, I pray for any of my friends in the room who are not Jesus followers today, that as they're wrestling with faith and what it means to trust in you, God, that they wouldn't chalk it up to just a cognitive reality. Well, there's plenty of that. There's also your presence with us, that you want to be with us, that you desire us. And if anyone's not a follower of Jesus in the room today, God, would you convince them that they are loved, they're made by you, and they're made for you. And by trusting in Jesus today, that he died for their sin, was buried and rose again, and asking in faith for forgiveness, you make us right with you. You adopt us into your family. You make us completely new. And we receive your presence and power in our lives. For everyone who's a follower of Jesus in the room, Father, I pray that we would hold on to the reality and the promise that you are with us. And we wouldn't let that be a small thing. We would realize how big of a deal that is. And will we open up our lives this week to be with you? In the next two songs, Jesus, would you just speak and move however you want? Amen.